Welcome to a brand new edition of Problematic Women. I'm Lauren Evans. And I'm Virginia Allen. And I'm Kelsey Bowler. April Fools is tomorrow, so we want to give you all some uh, fun April Fools pranks that you can play on um, all of your conservative friends in your life, and really all of your friends, but your conservative ones might find these a little bit funnier. Yeah, this started this morning. Uh, I, I came in, I worked out before work, so I was in the locker room, and I was just thinking, like, wouldn't it be really funny if you put gender-neutral signs on all the bathrooms, (laughs) which I'm not going to do because I'm sure I would get in big trouble. But it just got me thinking of, for April Fool's, I love a good April Fool's prank. And just imagining asking your conservative friends, like, excuse me, what's the pronoun of your pet? I I don't want to misgender them. (laughs) Or, or like, just in seriousness, be at a restaurant, be like, um... Do you know where the nearest gender-neutral restroom is? <laughs> <laughs> like asking, hey, where's the bathroom? Like going and be like, no, no I, I need the gender-neutral gender neutral one. one. <laughs> <laughs> or my other friend. This would be hilarious to do to your conservative, conservative friends, but all of my liberal friends know I'm pretty conservative. So I actually <laughs> think this would be hilarious for me to say to my liberal friends. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Because I love jokes, too, where only you know it's funny. It's probably most of my jokes. (laughs) Exactly. You're done. For our own entertainment only. (laughs) And I was thinking it could be as simple as, like, just offering to drive because, like, you can actually afford gas. Yeah. (laughs) I I got this one, guys. I can afford it. So cheap. Especially Uh, if you're in college. Yeah. (laughs) Or, like, Joe Biden, great American thinker, right? (laughs) (laughs) The infamous great American thinker. (laughs) If you have any... April Fool's pranks that you think we should pull on either our colleagues or our family or friends, please let us know in Problematic Women. I just, I love a good prank. Yeah, they're the best. (laughs) April Fool's. It's a great day every year. (laughs) All right, Lauren, what do we have queued up? Well, we're not joking today up on today's Problematic Women. Women's wages are rising faster than men's. We explain why. Plus, Buick is promoting women's sports, but the car company is a proud partner of the NCAA, the very group that is allowing men to compete in women's sports. Seems like a double standard. We also discuss the continuing destructive effects of COVID-19 lockdowns. And, as always, we'll be crowning our Problematic Women of the Week. Each week on Problematic Women, we sort through the news to find stories that are particular interest to conservative-leaning or problematic women, those whose views and opinions are so often excluded by those on the so-called feminist left. If you are a problematic woman or just someone who supports strong, independent women, please consider supporting us by leaving a review or a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and encouraging others to subscribe. It really does make a difference. All right, let's get to it. So a few weeks ago, the left celebrated the so-called Equal Pay Day, a holiday created to draw awareness to the gap between what men and women earn, about 18 cents. I don't think there's enough air quotes in the world for that sentence. (laughs) (laughs) So this is an annual moment for the media to mislead women about all the ways in which we are victims of a misogynistic workforce. But of course, as we've discussed many of times on this show, the discrepancy in take-home pay between men and women reflects more of a gender choice gap than a gender pay gap. Also, we know when you account for the gender choice gap, that pay gap all but disappears. And now we have even more data to support that fact, and even some good news to share for young women. According to the Wall Street Journal, women are winning the biggest pay raises from the U.S. labor boom. Female wages were up 4.4% in February from a year earlier, compared with 
a measly 4.1% rise in male wages, making this the sixth straight month that women's wage growth outpaced men's. Take that, boys. Because <laughs> everything's a competition, right? Uh, it is. Always. <laughs> so, of course, women face uh, disproportionately large setbacks during the pandemic, as women accounted for a disproportionate share of lower wage service sector jobs in personal care, food preparation, health care support, not to mention many women were moms and chose to stay home, homeschool, make alternative choices, and prioritize their kids over their careers, uh, some of them temporarily. Because of this, it makes sense that as COVID concerns have lessened and life has returned to normal, knock on wood, women's incomes are rising faster than those of men. Notably, there are so fewer women ages 16 and up in the labor force than before the pandemic hit. But meanwhile, male labor force participation levels have fully recovered. So on top of this, the Washington Post also reported a Pew Research Center analysis of uh, data finding that women younger than 30 on average earn at least as much or more than men in major cities or metropolitan areas such as Washington, D.C., New York, Los Angeles, and 19 other areas, places where strong job markets attract educated young people looking to build their careers. Nationwide, women 30 and younger earn 93 cents for every dollar made by a comparable man. Man, says the Washington Post. Of course, we know that uh, statistic is a little more complicated (laughs) than what they just report. Uh, The Washington Post said um, we actually have a senior researcher at Pew who conducted this study. His name is Richard Fry, said, Quote, the findings show that while the gender pay gap is narrowing for young women, common life events like child rearing that occur as they age present persistent obstacles to wage growth. I thought that term obstacles (laughs) was very interesting in that context. Mm -hmm. Uh, He said this is consistent with a finding that labor economists have well documented that women suffer a penalty when they become a mom, he said. Now, I can say, speaking as a residential mom on the show. (laughs) I think penalty is the wrong word there. Uh, I think becoming a mother is the greatest reward and blessing life can offer. And it really frustrates me and in fact offends me when women are looked at simply as numbers. And this is often done by the left and economists because women are more than numbers. Uh, And and (laughs) we know um, in particular around 30% of moms with children under Um, the age of 18 actually prefer part-time work, which accounts for much of the pay discrepancy. So, okay, there's a lot to break down Mm -hmm. here, but let me just address the elephant in the room, the number one question. How do we even discuss this topic without being able to define the term women? (laughs) Wow. Yes. Wow. (laughs) Bring up that news cycle. Thank you, Katanji (laughs) Brown-Jackson. Yeah. So, you know, I I think in this story, there's some good news that, you know, young women don't have to enter the early stages of their career with this chip on their shoulder because there's very little evidence that a quote-unquote pay gap um, even even exists. And in fact, it appears that in many cities, women, young women are doing better than men. But again, the data constantly fails to acknowledge or account for the different choices that women make. Um, and if we had a perfectly equal pay scale between men and women, 
I, I actually think it would be problematic for women uh, because when you look at all the studies, we, we know polls say women prefer uh, flexible part-time work, working fewer hours, and especially when they become a mom, which, so a lot of this data is like, makes perfect sense to me. When women are just starting out their careers, they're doing very well, and there's not a pay gap. This, this, <laughs> this pay gap only exists um, once women get older and maybe take some step back from work. And, and that's a good thing. Like, it's not something we should be victimizing women over. How do you both feel as a bit younger women than me who aren't moms yet? So much younger. Um, for our <laughs> just remember, I'm so much younger than Kelsey. <laughs> and I'm so much younger than Laura. <laughs> Virginia actually just turned 29, so she is last year still, in my 20s. Still in her 20s. <laughs> Riding that wave. Well, Kelsey, I'm, I, I think it's great that you highlighted the word obstacle, right? Because... That's what they see children as. It's just, it's all about how much money can you make and how much power can you grab. And they don't stop to think about the value that children bring and the value that family bring. And I know so many young women who are like, I'm 24, I'm 25, I'm 30. And they're they're just, I'm going to work really hard. I'm going to keep my head down. And my goal is that I can have my career in a good place to have a family. And then I know other women who have decided I'm going to work for a couple of years and I, then I get pregnant and then I'm going to go have my family. And I think women are smart enough to kind of plan and, and find their way through the situation and, and to say that children and family are obstacles to wage growth and just talk about kind of the numbers. As we know, like money doesn't bring you happiness. And, and especially there's a statistic and I'm just going to offhand it. So don't get me on the specifics, but it's like after you make $70,000, your life does not get better with mm-hmm. more money until you're like a, yeah, a millionaire. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so what's the difference between making 70 and $90,000, but what's the difference between having, you know, a family and what's the difference between even Kelsey knows this, like one or two children. Like there are so many things that bring you more joy in life than 0.3% of a wage growth. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's so important to acknowledge that this isn't just anecdotal that women make different choices in their careers and want to make different choices in their careers. A recent Gallup poll found that 66% of women looking for a new job saw a greater work-life balance followed by compensation and benefits. Conversely, most men sought to bump up their income and benefits as their top priority, 63%. Women also work fewer hours than men each week, and they may take jobs in career paths or industries that offer more flexibility with the trade-off of higher pay. So that's just a fact. And so if that's a fact, then it's also a fact that economists shouldn't be seeking perfect equality between men and women when it comes to their take-home pay, because men and women, statistically, according to polls, want different things. Mm -hmm. Virginia, I want to bring up the topic of men and and what this says about the state of men in our economy. Um, We know that um, actually... Colleges are graduating more women than men right now. Men make up only 40% of college students. So do you see any of these statistics as problematic for men in society? I mean, men need need purpose, and many men find purpose through work and being providers, no? And are are women kind of threatening to replace that by men? Or maybe it shouldn't be a competition, but this does have an impact on men. Yeah, sure. No, I think um, so often what we see really with with any policy or or trend is 
um, you know, implications are further reaching than originally intended or or that we thought. So, you know, I, I think we have seen, obviously, as there's more and more women entering the work, workforce, going after really high power jobs. Well, of course, that just means that those positions are, are no longer available for men. And, you know, I, I think that's OK. Um, you know, obviously, for women that want to pursue those high power careers, that's awesome. But um, Kelsey, I, I think you're right that there there's something that is God-given that's placed in men to be providers, to be protectors, to pursue. Um, and I, my fear is just that, you know, as so much of culture and society has really talked about the need to empower women, which is, is good, that then the flip side of that is we've kind of told men, sit, stay, be in the background. Um, where it would be awesome if we can champion both, right? Like if if we can affirm to women, hey, if you want to go after your career, that's great. But women, you can do that without having to tell men to take a back seat to you. No, men, we need you to to be the providers, to be champions, to to be the best that you can be. Um, and so, you know, my my hope is that we're seeing maybe those um, those college levels go down because. Uh, maybe there's an increase of uh, of men entering, you know, jobs that don't require a college career. We know that there's, you know, a shortage of people that have these practical skills like carpenters and welders and plumbers. And, and those are actually really great, well-paying, stable jobs that you can provide really, really well for a family. Um, so that would be my hope. Uh, and it's not just that more and more men are kind of doing nothing with their lives, um, but it, it's an interesting trend to see. Yeah, I will point out, um, not that I often enjoy directing our listeners to the Washington Post, but I I think (laughs) Andrew Yang wrote a really important piece that was published there back in February titled Opinion. The data are clear. The boys are not all right. And he points to a lot of these statistics, among them uh, lower college graduation rates in boys uh, than girls. But they're, you know, boys are also twice as likely as girls to be diagnosed with ADD and other types of behavioral disorders, um, and roughly a third of them are either unemployed or out of the workforce. More U.S. men ages 18 to 34 are now living with their parents than with romantic partners. And so, you know, on one hand, uh, I view the, the this news as positive. It's, it's great for women. Hopefully we can stop portraying young women in the workforce as victims. Uh, but on the same front, it, it, it cannot be a competition between men and women. And um, I think all the rah-rah women in the workplace lean in stuff does take a toll on men. Um, And we have to pay attention to them too, because, uh, you know, men, men, (laughs) society needs strong men. Mm -hmm. Uh, Men need to be providers and it shouldn't be an either or men or women are doing well. We need equal equality of opportunity, not equality of outcome. Yeah. Well, it's also so hilarious that they want to treat men and women the same in sports, which I know we're fixing to get to. <laughs> but but they don't want to treat men and women the same in the workplace. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, I just hate that as a society and these news stories seem to cheer on when men are losing in the workforce when it shouldn't be like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we should want a strong economy regardless of yeah who's participating in it. Well, it's just such a toxic mindset. Like you don't have to wish somebody else fails for you to succeed. Absolutely. A rising tide 
raises all, all boats. boats. There we Amen. go. <laughs> Quote of the day. All right. Well, uh, stay tuned because up next we're going to get into a little bit of that women's sports discussion and uh, talk about the hypocrisy of the NCAA. But first, I have a question for you all. Are you looking for a job? If yes, then I would encourage you to sign up for the Heritage Foundation's Job Bank. The Heritage Job Bank connects conservatives of all career levels with jobs that are offered by conservative employers all over the country, and it's a completely free service. If you sign up, the Job Bank will send you new job openings every week and invite you to their virtual job fairs and career seminars The Job Bank team also offers one-on-one career consultation. This is an awesome resource and just so helpful for those, whether you're halfway through your career and you're looking for a change or you're just out of college and starting out and trying to get that first job, please sign up for the Heritage Foundation Job Bank so you can get all those emails and stay in the know. It's really easy to sign up. Just visit heritage.org slash job bank and then click on register today. So Buick is out with a new commercial that we would play for you, but it actually uses text versus audio to make its point. Using a recording from a Nigerian basketball player named Arike Ogonfalawe. I hope I pronounced that right. Good job, Kelsey. (laughs) During one of the greatest buzzer beaters in history in the 2018 NCAA Women's National Championship basketball game between the Notre Dame Fighting Irish and the Mississippi State Bulldogs. It shows text that reads, Over 40% of athletes are women, but they get less than 10% of the media coverage. Once again, all these women are victims. Buick, (laughs) a proud partner of the NCAA, is committed to raising that percentage, they say, as part of a campaign called hashtag SeeHerGreatness. So, Lauren... Did this ad make you kind of want to barf? (laughs) What does a car company have to do with women's sports? (laughs) To me, it's a lot of empty rhetoric, especially in light of the whole Leah Thomas controversy and the fact that the NCAA is actively erasing women from women's sports. And in fact, it maybe (laughs) the only thing I can I, I, I think of cars and NCAA right now are conversations that must be happening between moms and their daughters as they are driving to swim practice, um, talking about what's happening in women's sports and how, and, and probably a lot of moms telling their daughters, yeah, this really is not fair. There shouldn't be men competing in your sports. Unfortunately, um, that's what the powers at B have decided. Um, and and I, that that's the only thing relating to sports happening with cars right now, but I guess Buick thinks otherwise. And not even like cars. It's the car. Like the last time I think I was in a Buick was when I was riding with my great grandfather. (laughs) (laughs) It is interesting. It's interesting that Buick is choosing. It's uh, such a shallow, like try to play on people's emotions. Cause yeah, you see this woman, she made this awesome shot. Of course we want to give her attention and she's very talented. And these players, should feel good about what they're doing, and and there should be fans of uh, women's sports because they're athletes, just like men are athletes. But you can't force this, right? You can't watch an NBA game and a WNBA game and just say, oh, they're the same. It's because men and women are, women are different, and their athletic levels are different. But there are people who like to watch softball. There are people who like to watch women's basketball. There's people who like to watch women's soccer. is huge, and women in tennis. 
And just to kind of blanket and say, like, this is the problem. People don't like to watch women. It detracts from them and their ability saying, like, you're not watchable, guys. But don't worry. Here, us at Buick, we'll fix that. Mm -hmm. And with the help of the NCAA, we'll fix it because we're going to put men into women's sports. Yeah, it's 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 just such a joke. And it's you hear it over and over again. And I mean, as a videographer, someone who by trade does this and, and Kelsey and Virginia, you've worked on a lot of videos, you know how it works. You put the soft music that's kind of sad <laughs> and you make the color a little, you know, desaturated <laughs> and you can make really anything feel emotional, right? And it, to kind of gain people's emotions like this, it's just, I can't believe that the American people in a large part, I know not our listeners, you're very smart, you probably don't drive a Buick, but <laughs> if you do, we still love you. Thanks for listening. <laughs> but, uh, the way that they think that this is going to get them more business and hashtag see her greatness. Like, no, I already see her greatness. She's great. And you, we don't need you, Buick, to be the lens of that. And it, it's not about like, oh, we need to have equal representation with sports. It needs to be that that these women feel empowered and they feel safe. And a lot of times sports for most Americans shouldn't be about getting to the highest stage, but it should be about team building. It should be about learning how to work hard, learning how to fall down and get up. And they totally overlook those things to think that, okay, when you play sports, the only end goal is to be on TV, which that's so shallow. And I think for only a small percentage of Americans is ever going to be true. So, yeah. uh, Well, I mean, if if Buick wants to stand up and support women's sports, then they should be actively speaking out against the rule that the NCAA has that specifically allows men to compete in women's sports. That's how they can support female athletes right now if they want to be supporting female athletes. And I think it's it's so hypocritical to say you know, we're backing women and we're supporting women and we're partnered with the NCAA um, when the NCAA is the very group that is allowing uh, men to come in and take opportunities, take scholarships, take awards from women. I think we need more female linebackers. I think we need more, you know, female forwards on NBA teams. <laughs> and then we'll really see if we're seeing her greatness. That's why this is all a scam. And it, it's a scam design for Buick to be able to pat themselves on the back in the boardroom and say, we're standing up for women. We're, you know, feminists fighting for so-called equality. Uh, look at all we're doing. Um, you know, I don't, ultimately, I don't know if they care that much if they profit off of this. Obviously, it's, when it comes down to it, it's a car advertisement. It's um, a way to get their brand in front of your face while, while, again, giving themselves a pat on the back. But it's all shallow. And it reminds me of uh, the book that I just, I would say read, but I have a four-month-old and two-and-a-half-year-old, so I a book that I just listened to because that's about all I can do these days. Kelsey, are you saying there's a reading gap in women now? <laughs> there might be. Uh, and Audible has helped to close it. Um, it's called Woke Inc. Inside Corporate America's Social Justice Scam by Vivek Ramaswamy. Uh, he was he, he's this uh, guy who founded multi-billion dollar enterprises, led a biotech company as CEO, um, was became a hedge fund partner in his 20s and trained as a scientist at Harvard and a lawyer at Yale. Um, he has a really interesting background, grew up the child of immigrants um, in a small town in, in Ohio. And he, he wrote this book kind of breaking down all these different instances. And if he were still writing the book today, this Buick 
um, commercial would certainly fit perfectly as one of his examples of corporate America really scamming Americans into believing that they are taking these woke moral stances when really it's, it, they don't care inside the boardroom, some of which he's actually been inside. Um, and it, ultimately, it's about their bottom lines. It's about their profits and their ability to sleep at night thinking, you know, they're doing the right thing when, of course, you know, Virginia, as you pointed out, they're not really standing up for women's sports by selling their cars with a commercial that makes plays nice music and makes it sound like they're doing something to lift up and, and champion women. If they were really doing that, they'd be in touch with the moment and, and um, looking at what women in the NCAA are actually concerned about right now, which is their ability to compete fairly in their own sports. Of course, that's not addressed at all. We should never expect it to be addressed by these types of woke corporations because, again, these are just social justice scams. Yeah. Well, and I, I do want to mention a little bit of good news on this front. Increasingly, we're seeing states across the country that have or are introducing pieces of legislation um, that will protect women's sports, that will prevent males from participating with women on their sports teams. And um, just recently, I posted this on the Problematic Women Instagram, but Arizona, Kentucky, and Oklahoma are three of the latest states that have introduced legislation um, to ban biological men from participating in girls' and women's sports. Uh, so we, we're seeing positive movement on this front. We need to see more, and it would be great if we would see actually some of these big companies, some of these big corporations like Buick, get behind this um, and if it would be more than, you know, just uh, just conservative state legislatures that are actually saying, wait a second, this isn't fair, this isn't just, but if there could be a whole social movement that really arises to put a stop to this, and I, and I think we're starting to see that, mm-hmm. but it would be great to see more of it from some of these big players. All right, well, stay tuned um, because we're going to talk a little bit more about the COVID craziness next Uh, because unfortunately, some of it is continuing. Virginia Allen here. I want to tell you all about a great way you can stay in the know on all the news The Daily Signal covers. Social media. The Daily Signal has an active presence on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We are constantly posting news stories, clips from interviews, videos, and more across all our social platforms. Follow The Daily Signal on social media so you can get all the latest content from reels on Instagram to video clips on Facebook and political commentary on Twitter. Emily McCombs is an editor for HuffPost, and she recently wrote a story about how COVID-19 affected her personally. She worked from home for two years during the pandemic, and during that time, she gained 70 pounds. In her life before the pandemic, Emily walked to the subway from her apartment every day to go to work. She went to the gym multiple times a week, uh, and she says that she lived a pretty active lifestyle. Then the world turned upside down in March 2020, and Emily's own commute went, uh, you know, from walking quite a bit every day to just walking from her bedroom 
to her couch. And uh, she worked out just a little bit in her apartment, she says, but she didn't go to the gym anymore. Emily followed all the protocols and gained 70 pounds, putting herself in a higher-risk category for COVID-19 complications. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, quote, having obesity may triple the risk of hospitalization due to COVID-19. And, quote, obesity is linked to impaired immune function. And yet, even knowing this, our elected leaders close parks, playgrounds, gyms, recreations for months at a time. In September of 2020, Science.org reported a study that found that, quote, people with obesity who contracted SARS-CoV-2, COVID, were 113% more likely than people of healthy weight to land in the hospital, 74% more likely to be admitted to the ICU, and 48% more likely to die. But why has the mainstream media not been talking about this? Why instead the government has been telling everyone to stay inside, were people not encouraged to get out and stay active to prevent serious infection and hospitalization? And like talked in an article about concerns over fat shaming. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that the media was so obsessed with this one narrative. It was like the government, the media, it was like, stay Dr. Fauci, <laughs> Dr. Fauci, Lord Fauci, was like, <laughs> stay inside, wear your mask whenever you go out. Um, and pretty early on. Never see anybody. Never see anyone. And yet pretty early on, all this research started coming out that actually, you know, what's so much better for your body to prevent sickness, which really we've kind of known actually for a very long time, long before COVID, but like living an active lifestyle, eating healthy, exercising, getting sunshine outside. uh, And that just really wasn't talked about at all uh, as far as, you know, ways to mitigate and protect yourself from COVID-19. And, you know, I guess you can come up with lots of of reasons why it wasn't talked about. Um, But I was disappointed even in this article from, you know, someone who has a platform. She's an editor at HuffPost. Uh, you know, she talks about gaining all this weight, but there was a lack of emphasis on the need to be healthy. Like, of course, we don't fat shame people. Everyone is on their own health journey. The important thing is that you're on a health journey and that you're moving towards being healthier. The reason why the government didn't push this is because that's an individual result that individuals can take their own actions to do. The government wants a one size fits all solution, right? And for elderly people, especially elderly people who are obese, yes. Or people with pre-existing conditions, yeah, you should probably stay inside. You should probably be careful. But for most young, healthy people, the best thing that they could have been doing is living their lives. Living their lives, right? Like do the things that you do every day, not to get sick, wash your hands. If you're sick, stay home from work. But completely shutting down. I mean, I joke my family went through like a frying phase during COVID where we just like fried stuff. And I totally get as someone who like literally just recently was able to get back in my exercise swing before COVID. I could run like a sub 10 minute mile. I was probably down to about 930, which is for me very fast. Mm -hmm. And I'm now back up to maybe an 11 minute mile. And luckily, I was able to keep somewhat of a routine. But I totally get there's something about like going to the gym and working out and, and then going to work. And when you don't have kind of that set routine, it falls off. But rather than saying like, oh, man, it was two years, I made decisions that weren't great for my health. It was all projecting blame on other people mm-hmm. of like, oh, my company was working from home, so I didn't have a commute. Like, no, friend, you could still go walk that same commute every day. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if anything, you should have more time to go do the commute. As most, a lot of people working from home claim they have more time. And it just drives me nuts. The government for two years just said, stay home, 
don't talk to people. And never once when we were like, well, it's about obesity. It's about elderly people. They were like, you deny science. Mm -hmm. You want people to die. And we're like, no, we want people to be healthy. Uh, From the very beginning of COVID, there was a couple weeks. I mean, I was crazy wearing gloves, washing my groceries. But once we realized actually the facts that came out, uh, it, it appeared to me like um, I'm my likelihood of dying is probably obesity, diabetes, heart disease. I mean, those are the major killers of Americans. Mm-hmm. And to avoid that fact for just a short term period of security. And then this woman has the audacity to come back to work, gain a lot of weight. And I, I feel for her. I totally understand how it feels not to feel comfortable in your own body, especially when your own clothes don't fit. But to just assume that her colleagues are fat shaming her, quote unquote, She's just projecting how she feels on them, and they're, they probably feel the same way, that they, they spend all this time away, they're nervous. People, I mean, you get older, you get wrinkles on your face, you, there's so many things that maybe people don't have money to buy new clothes, mm-hmm. since a lot of people have been wearing kind of, so it's, there's so many f- things to feel self-conscious about. So for her to just write this article saying, I gained all this weight, it was COVID's fault, people are judging me, it's like just the wrong way to think about this, and I think really pinpoints a problem in our society where just to go back to kind of where I started from, there's no individual responsibility. And rather than when things get bad and we finally get to the point of like, wow, I don't feel good about myself. I don't feel good. Just period. I should fix it. I should go to the gym. I should eat healthier. I should, you know, text your friends, go for a walk. It's no, I don't, I don't feel good. My colleagues are doing something wrong. My work is doing something wrong. The government's doing something wrong. And it's just time. I'm sure most of our problematic women out there are already like this, but it's just time to take responsibility for yourself and time to understand that, okay, the world sometimes deals you a crappy card, whether it's a two-year pandemic or it's something terrible that happens for you. And you should take time and you you should mourn and you should never feel bad for having to take a pause and a breath. Mm -hmm. But then you need to get up and you need to get back out there and and take advantage and and understand that you're, you're... Value in life is not based on how you look or how you think or how, but it's based on the way that you treat people and Mm -hmm. and the way that you believe your creator loves you. And it was that all is just missing from this article. And I mean, I'm glad that she published it and she put it out there to know like actually how these people think. And, and don't forget, she works at HuffPo. So her HuffPo colleagues are the ones fat shaming her. Well, Kelsey, I'd be curious to get your thoughts because I mean, as as I was reading this, I was kind of, you know, like Lauren and I have been talking about, like having these thoughts of like, okay, yeah, why why wasn't there more discussion in the mainstream media about, you know, a need to really be healthy? And I was like, okay, is there such a fear over that shaming people like that? So, um, you know, obviously nothing that anyone wants to be seen doing, but did the fear of, you know, being seen as doing that lead to to the media literally not talking about the dangers of being overweight in the era of COVID. Yeah, this becomes a a serious health issue when we can't be honest with people about the effects that obesity has on their health outcomes. And I think the fact that this is, this is now happening from the top down, you know, and starting with medical professionals who we're supposed to trust, uh, we now have to fear that they are are wrapping the facts in, in bubble wrap if they share them alone is extremely concerning because it's people's health that we're talking about. Um, and I, I have to point out, I, I think a huge piece of this is the fact that there's no profits to be made 
in the pharmaceutical industry and mm-hmm. the healthcare industry at large with telling people to work out and mm. live a healthy lifestyle. Yep. Um, I actually really commend Megan Kelly. Uh, she did this wellness week and she had a lot of, um, she had different um, experts come on her podcast to um, talk about some of more like holistic health. And I, I would encourage all of our listeners to, um, go listen to it because it's it's amazing how much something like getting a full night sleep can affect your weight and how much different types of exercise um, can factor in to your ability to live a healthy life um, in the long term. And these are just conversations that I don't think occur enough in the media because, again, there's just not many profits to be made by um, encouraging healthy, active lifestyles. And, and we saw this by the one track mind of the CDC and Anthony Fauci to get vaccinated. That's all he said. That's the only thing in this world <laughs> that can protect you from dying, uh, from COVID-19 when, you know, that's anyone with a brain can read the statistics and very quickly reach a different conclusion. Um, as for this writer in particular, i I thought it was kind of hilarious that her whole um, the whole premise of this piece was based on her fear about going back to work after gaining weight, which is something I have a lot of sympathy for. I think a lot of Americans, unfortunately, experience due to COVID-19 and and being locked up. Um, But she is a writer for The Huffington Post, which means she was nervous about walking into a very liberal woke office and getting fat shamed by liberal woke employees. I mean, (laughs) like that's problematic in itself like why are you worried about your colleagues judging you based on your appearance that's that sounds like a very unhealthy workplace to me um it's not a workplace I want to be a part of and perhaps Huffington Post needs to um, do something about that because that doesn't that doesn't sound like a very (laughs) healthy workplace to me that anybody would fear walking back into their office and being um, discriminated against uh, based on their appearance. I lost a lot of weight in 2018 and in 2019. And I will say I was shamed by one problematic woman co-host on this show for continuing clothes that didn't fit me because they were too big. Uh, guilty as charged. <laughs> Lauren like, lost this, uh, this amazing amount of weight but continued to wear her clothes before. I was like, Lauren, like, reward yourself. Go shopping. Treat yourself with some new clothes that actually fit you. And to me, I'm like, well, I just got to wait for Costco to get the brand of pants that I like. <laughs> that happened. And I want to leave... so. The last thing that reminded me of kind of how the American people reacted to COVID versus the government is there's this park in Florida near my parents' house. It's beautiful. It's $2 to get in, the best $2 you'll spend. It's a two-mile hike in the really, like, old-school Florida nature. And in the middle, they have these really great big pavilions. And in, on the weekends and weeknights, people rent them out, and they have dinners and parties and stuff. And in the middle of COVID, they took caution tape, and they caution taped all the pavilions off right like all six of them and then even the playgrounds were caution taped off and there's still everybody just brought their own chairs and tables <laughs> and there were people gathered with chairs and tables just directly next to it but the government deemed those pavilions that's where the danger happened yeah 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 that's where covid spreads yeah. <laughs> oh crazy all right well stay tuned because up next we crown our problematic woman of the week 
Virginia Allen here. I want to tell you all about one of my favorite podcasts. Heritage Explains is a weekly podcast that breaks down all the policy issues we hear about in the news at a 101 level. Hosts Michelle Cordero and Tim Desher mix in news clips and music to tell a story, but also bring in heritage experts to help break down complex issues. Heritage Explains offers quick 10 to 15 minute explainers that bring you up to speed in an entertaining way. You can find them on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We even put the full episode on YouTube. Now it is that time once again, my favorite time of the week, time to crown our problematic woman of the week. The crown goes to late Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. This is not an April Fool's joke. (laughs) You all probably heard about Senator Marsha Blackburn asking Supreme Court nominee Ketanji Brown Jackson to define the word woman. Jackson said that she could not define what a woman is and added, quote, I'm not a biologist. So when I was down in Florida last week, I had the opportunity to sit down with the chair of the House Republican Conference Representative Elise Stefanik. And I asked her what she thought about Biden's Supreme Court pick not being able to define what a woman is. And this is what she had to say. Well, you and I both know that you and I are women and we are proud to be women. Uh, that's a pretty ridiculous and I think it's um, an unacceptable answer for a Supreme Court judge. Ruth Bader Ginsburg would have been able to answer that question. Ruth Bader Ginsburg uh, understands how to define, would have understood how to define that issue. We might have disagreed with Ruth Bader Ginsburg on a lot of things, but she knew what a woman was and wasn't, and she would not have been afraid to say so. So congratulations to Ruth Bader Ginsburg for being our problematic woman of the week. It just shows how crazy the left is, right? They've moved so far leftward where 10, 15, 20 years ago, this woman would have been like the biggest liberal icon, right? And Mm -hmm. now... It's like, now she's problematic. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's important to talk about this because they'll keep creeping leftward and, and then you'll be the one it's it's gaslighting. Right. They'll, you'll, you'll be the one who like, oh, yeah, Virginia, you're a woman. And they'll be like, how she, how do you know? Yeah. Like, look at her. She's wearing a skirt. She has long hair. She's a woman. She's like she she looks like a woman. And so, yeah, I, I think this is such a great point that Representative Stefanik put up is like, yeah. RBG totally would have been able to define woman. And we all know Judge Jackson Brown, she, she knows what a woman is. And I mean, come on, like, we know what a woman is. You know what a woman is. Like, let's let's just cut this crap out with the American people. Mm-hmm. Be honest, actually, because, yeah, like you said, Lauren, she knows what it is. She just didn't want an answer because she doesn't want to get on the bad side of the far woke left. It's like, come on, don't don't care about what they think. Be honest, be real. Care about what well, that I should think. make everybody fear. Is she going to be able to stand up to them? Exactly. When it comes to the cases she hears. Yeah. If she's uh, not even. The court. That's, that's if, very concerning. I yeah. know we kind of joke about this, but it is very concerning that if she is bowing to the woke left during a Senate confirmation hearing, um, in what way are we supposed to believe that uh, she is willing to interpret the law? without fear or favor uh, to those with political beliefs she either agrees with or is too scared to disagree with. Mm-hmm. Great point. Well, on that great point, that's going to be it for this week's edition of Problematic Women. Join us next Thursday morning for a brand new edition. And in the meantime, please subscribe and share. 
Conservatives need your support in the podcast world, and we would greatly appreciate a five-star review on Spotify, CastBox, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does make a difference. Have a great rest of your weekend, and we'll see you right back here next Thursday. Problematic Women is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is a product of The Daily Signal, produced by Lauren Evans and Virginia Allen. And be sure to follow Problematic Women on Instagram. We produce Problematic Women in remembrance of our dear friend and former co-host, Bree Payton.